Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Suzanne Olson with us, graduate of New York University. She served more than 10 years working in humanitarian aid with the American and International Red Cross in Ethiopia, New Zealand, Fiji, South Korea, Thailand, Nepal, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and is definitely no stranger to terrorism, disasters, human suffering worldwide. She learned about the tomb that we're going to talk about in India associated with Jesus She's been investigating this further. Her book is a summary of the history, the relics, and the other information found within the tomb. She's especially keen on saving the tomb and seeing that DNA research is completed. Her books include Jesus in Kashmir and also Razabal, the tomb of Jesus. Did I pronounce that right, Suzanne? Yes, you did. You're spot on. How are you? I'm great. How are you tonight? Great. Tell me, how did you get interested in this kind of work? Very weird, through the back door. I was working in Fiji. Um, I had been doing a little bit of genealogy research for my own family because of various things that were published, you know, that tied my family into some historical moments. In Fiji, I met um, a Mahdi Muslim. It's a, you know, a branch of the, of the yes. uh, Muslims. And they were telling me how deeply involved they were in authenticating a tomb of Jesus in India. That was the first time I ever became aware of it in Fiji. Then when I got to Pakistan and India and in that region, I started investigating the tomb. And then you just get drawn into these things, and it became a lifetime passion. And it's been more than 30 years now on this. Have you seen this tomb? Oh, yeah. I spent every day there for almost a year. Is, is it big? Uh, it's, a, it's a building. It's about the size of a large garage. What's it it's feel not, like it's not when a great big fancy elaborate tomb? Now, what you mentioned this Sunday is going to be Easter. That's April fourth. That coincides with the end of Passover, which mm-hmm. went from March twenty seventh to April fourth. Right. And and this the story of Passover uh, is directly related to the tomb in India. They had a similar fate and a similar history. The the story of Passover is that uh, uh, Joseph was kidnapped and sold as a slave and brought to Egypt. He spent the rest of his life, and he died in Egypt. Before he died, he said he wanted his, if the family ever left Egypt, he wanted his bones to go with them. He didn't want to stay there. So uh, 50 or 75 years later, Moses was born, and then the, the story of the Exodus enters the picture. When Moses took his people out of Egypt. That's the the Exodus we're Mm -hmm. all familiar with. They took Joseph's bones with them. They wanted to keep that promise. There are several other stories in the Bible relating to how bones were were moved with families rather than left behind to be desecrated or, Uh you know, tombs destroyed. They brought Joseph to uh, Seshem in Israel, which now is Nebulus, Israel. And they made a tomb for him, and they buried him there. Now we come to modern times. This is going to connect to Rosa Ball in a moment. Okay. And then you get into this uh, Palestinian conflict, you know, where the Palestinians and the Israelis are fighting over land, and where are the boundaries? Joseph's tomb fell in within the boundaries of the Palestinian Authority, and it was destroyed. Uh, The last time that I was in Israel, I wasn't able to go see it, but... 
you know, the, they said there's nothing left to see. It's totally destroyed. It's thrown with garbage and old tires. Things like this are happening. This is the situation that's happening in Rosa Ball in, in Kashmir. You have terrorism. You have people fighting over whose story, you know, my profit's better than your profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no respect for your profit. And, and the tomb in Kashmir has been under similar threat. Um, and it's frightening because they're... What value do we put on these old tombs? You know, is it important? How long can we keep an old tomb? Like, how long is it valid to keep someone? Sure, but it's great, great archaeology. A lot of ethical and moral questions. Um, So besides the tomb, the things that identify Jesus in that tomb are also valuable historical relics. And to, to see them get lost or destroyed or disrespected, it's uh, it's disturbing. Suzanne, when you were in that tomb, did you feel anything? Was it anything oh, gosh, mystical? Yeah, yeah you get, uh, it's, a, it's a spiritual feeling. You know, it doesn't matter who's buried in there. This, this poor guy is 2,000 years old, and you feel very strongly. You get a very strong, everything that I've read about others who had been in the tomb or even on the outside of the tomb when they weren't allowed in uh, have that strong feeling, and I don't know what generates it. It could be, you know, just the the uh, electromagnetism of the landscape. I don't know. <laughs> but everybody feels it when they go there. And they all leave and write, you know, very elaborate descriptions of the power they felt uh, around that place. Suzanne, let's go back to the uh, the initial story leading up to the crucifixion, the burial in the tomb, and then the resurrection or whatever yeah. might have happened. Right. Uh, so in he... My... <laughs> In my interpretation, um, everything in the Bible is absolutely correct and spot on, and it never ceases to amaze me that that science is verifying many of the things in the Bible. But it's a matter of interpretation, you know? right? Right. And, and it's all written in parables, so we have to realize that when Jesus rose on the third day, all of his disciples saw him. He was around for quite a while. Uh, walking in flesh and blood, and he himself said, I am flesh and blood. He didn't say he was a spirit. You know, he he didn't, uh, we interpret it that way, and, and there's, but he, he, after the resurrection, he was seen for like 40 or 45 days. Then he disappeared again. Now, I think, based on many, many things that are connected in my book, we don't, we don't need all of them tonight, but I think that he followed the same pattern as Moses and the others, and he, he quietly got out of there. If there were bones of his relatives still remaining, he brought them. They brought them with them as they traveled to its Kashmir. Now, at that time, Kashmir was only Hebrew. If you were not a Hebrew, if you were not a known Jew, you were not allowed to live there. That's how Jewish it was. Really? In Kashmir? In Kashmir. That's, that's, that's part interesting. of their history. So... There's a book called the Raj Tarangini. It means the River of Kings. It was written by an author named Kalhana, and it was the history of Kashmir. He wrote it all down, and that was part of the, the history, the tradition. There's another interesting part of that history, that when, when many of the kings were looking for wives, they would go to Kashmir, and they would go to that region to find wives, because, and they're still doing that today. While I lived there, 
young girls were being sold. It was usually five hundred dollars, you know, a bride, oh, and they were geez. brought by couriers to various places in the Middle East where they would marry Arab princes and kings. And to get a wife from Kashmir was quite a coup. You know, it was quite a quite a sight unseen. Quite an esteem, yeah, to to have a wife from Kashmir. Now we go back. Jesus had gone to Kashmir, according to Kalhana's history and others in the area, and he married a little local girl. And she died after giving birth to two of his sons. They're both mentioned. Their names are mentioned. When Jesus returned to Kashmir with his... uh, Which would have been, how old do you think he would have been? When he when he returned to Kashmir? Yes. That would be right after the crucifixion. He would be about 40 to 45 years old. Okay. All right. And and his sons are, he wrote the names of his sons on a stair, a step that's at the Solomon's uh, temple in Kashmir, and it was well known. It was there at the time. And he actually recorded their names on the temple steps. And this was photographed, and it appears in the earlier history books. But then, here we go again with you know with uh, terrorism and conflict of prophets, and some locals destroyed that. Oh, geez, what a relic that would have been! Oh, absolutely. So we at least have photographs of it, and it does appear in some of the other books that people wrote before. You know, long. Well, well let's talk about the resurrection, Suzanne, for a moment, because that's a very key part of all of this. All of Christianity is centered around the resurrection. So yeah, he's crucifixed, he's, he's, he's on a cross, they've nailed his hands and his feet together on this cross. Right. What happens to him? Does he die okay, or, or before, not? No. Before we get to the cross, we have a little bit of prehistory. We have to be absolutely sure we have pictures in our minds. When the, the, the high priests were threatening Jesus and brought him before Pilate and said, we want him killed, you know, so on and so forth, Pilate took Jesus into the praetorium and protected him. When the soldiers were taking Jesus into the praetorium and all through the process before the cross, Pilate kept saying, go gently, because this man is innocent. Those Soldiers were so well experienced at crucifixions because they did this stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. If they wanted to hurt that man, they could have really hurt him. When you look at the pictures, that it's horrible to think that he was lashed and beaten and he has all these scars on him. Th- thorns in his head and all that. Right. But none of them were deep wounds. They were surface wounds, and he probably bled a lot. And it was like being whipped with prickers or something. Was it for show? If you look at the, like on the Shroud of Turin, if you were to assume that was the correct covering on Jesus, he, he was hurt, but he, none of those wounds were life-threatening. They were just surface wounds. If you walk through the briar patch, you get the same scratches. They weren't that severe. And the, 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 the uh, guards were doing exactly what Pilate told them to do, go gently on this man. When they hung him on the cross, they didn't break his legs. They could have put those spikes in in such a way that he would have bled to death quickly had they really wanted to kill him. Well, it still hurt, though, right? Oh, it's going to hurt, yeah. Oh, God, you got nails uh, through your hands. And you put the feet, when when this is something that repeats itself, it appears several times in in the history of Jesus and the crucifixion, on the Shroud of Turin and at the tomb in Rosa Ball were, were feet. You can see the way one foot was put over the other, and then both were held with one nail. 
That's the wounds that appear on the Shroud of Turin, and those are the wounds that appear in Rosabal. And as many people said, it's not symmetrical. It's asymmetrical because the, the nail went through both feet differently. You know, one was on top of the other, and the wounds are different. Only a person who had an eyewitness would have known how these wounds would appear. If they're not symmetrical, you don't put a dot on each foot and say, oh, there was a nail. Right. It's quite different. So, and you never would have walked together if they did it like that. Right. So when you look at the Shroud of Turin and you look at the wounds on the feet of the crucifixion that appeared at Rosa Ball, the, the replica, they're identical. And, and so this can only have been done by an eyewitness. And how the heck did they wind up in Kashmir? So here again, you can't take something out of context. The, the, at the time that, that Jesus was crucified and taken from the cross, we're going to assume he survived because that's, he went to Kashmir. You have to take all the circumstances going on at the time. They were going to... Princes, young princes and, and would-be kings were killed all the time. At the time that, Joseph, that Jesus was conceived, uh, there was a ruler, a Persian ruler, uh, who had four sons, and three of those sons we know were killed by his, one of his wives, concubines, who wanted her son to rule. So it was very common to be killing these children as fast as they were born. Oh, this is what happened at the Nativity. Um, and when the, your clue is the Magi. When the Magi came to see Jesus, you hear all these stories about who were the Magi. All you have to do is look at the Persian Empire. This was this is exactly what they had been doing for hundreds of years. The Magi were like couriers for the court. They were messengers. Whenever a new king was appointed, it was the Magi who went. And there were 80 satraps, 80 provinces where kings ruled. Generally, they were all related. They were all the same bloodline. That's how they were chosen. So the Magi would make the decision in the court and then take the paperwork and, you know, the official documents, whatever made it official, and go to that king and say, okay, you're going to run this place now. Uh, you know, you're next in line. You're going to rule. You're going to be the next governor, whatever, president, lower-level king. So when the Magi came to visit Jesus, they're sure linked immediately back to the Persian Empire. And he had something to do with Now, I think, in my theory, in my book, is that one of those princes who, you know, eventually were killed was probably the father of Jesus. If you're looking for a mortal father, it would have been among those princes in Persia. What happened to Joseph as the father? Well, that's what happened when, if this young prince was killed and Mary was pregnant, and they, then Joseph stepped in and took over. This is why they came and asked him to take over and protect Jesus because of these killers in the Persian Empire who would rather see him dead, so that he had no claim to the throne at all. And from the time of his conception, even before his birth, they were saying, this is a king. So the only way they could make that decision is if he had been, you know, his father had been royalty in the Persian Empire. That would explain it. So it's an alternate explanation but it fits in perfectly with history. If you look at all the rest of the history, where the Magi came from, what was going on in the Persian Empire at that time, mm-hmm. what was the relationship between the Persians and the Romans, and, and it's an alternate history, but it really fills in a lot of uh, questions. You know. All right, well, you, but you're saying when they took Jesus down from the cross, are you saying he was alive at that time? Yes, and that he was revived. 
And why was the tomb empty? Because that's what they did. Um, within 24 hours, they would have been in his tomb, stealing relics, desecrating the tomb. Now, it's, beyond Kashmir... on today, so it's, it's a frightening prospect. People got... When Mother Mary died, uh, within 24 hours, her tomb was empty. She was buried in the same tomb as her mother and father. That tomb is still there. You can visit these places today. And where was that tomb? Oh, I can't remember. I mean, uh, was it in it where modern Israel is now? Yes, yes, yes. I'm okay. trying to remember the name of the location. I can't right now. Okay. Now, and, the, and so, the original tomb for Jesus, when they took him down from the cross, that was in Israel, too? Where yeah, we, that was the garden tomb, yeah. It's okay. very easy to walk That's where they put the big rock in front and all that? Yes, yes all of that. And, and so they got in there, and within a few hours, that tomb was empty. They got him out of there quickly because this is what they did. Tombs were robbed. If they had found that he had even a little bit of life left in him, they would have killed him. You know, he should have died on the cross, but then anybody who found him alive would have killed him. So they had to get him out of there. There was absolutely How, how could he walk, Suzanne, with nails that oh, had gone through? Walk. They could have carried him out. Yeah, you because, know, I mean, you, you put nails board. through the front of your te- feet, you're not going to be walking for a while. Right. You can go, if you're in Pakistan or, or Afghanistan even today, and people die, you'll see them carrying the dead through the streets tied to a chair or tied to a board. Jeez. You'll see this going on. This is the way you move the dead around, you know. And Jesus could have been laid on a board, wrapped in the shadows, and laid on a board and tied to that board and then carried away quickly. It, it's a very, they still do it today. It's a very easy thing to do. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.